Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. I'm Matt Chatterton. In the program this week, we try to find out why the heavily funded and highly touted New Zealand track cycling team underdelivered at the Rio Olympics, while the silver medal winning New Zealand women's sevens team have been charming high school players around the country on their return. The All Black First Five, Bowden Barrett commits to New Zealand, the Hurricanes and Taranaki Rugby. We talk to former silver fern Catherine Tuavaiti about reigniting her career we dissect another disappointing NRL season for the Warriors, and New Zealand cricket plan to trial pink ball day-night first-class matches. For all the success New Zealand experienced at the Rio Olympics last month, there were some sports that underperformed. Cycling New Zealand expected to win four medals in Rio. Only one silver was claimed by the men's track cycling sprint team. Last year, Cycling New Zealand received $17 million in base funding for the Olympic campaign. That's likely to be slashed when high-performance sport New Zealand allocates its latest funding round towards the end of the year. Cycling New Zealand's chief executive, Andrew Matheson, told me Rio was a tough pill to swallow. We certainly had ambitions of getting more than one medal um, at the Games. I think probably what we, we saw is it's one of the toughest competitions we've probably ever seen. And we got agonisingly close in a few places to, to actually achieve some good things. Um, I think we sort of got to recognise the, the men's team sprint did an amazing job. You know, they did three PBs, including, you know, at some stage, you know, bettering the, the Olympic record to come up agonisingly close to a gold medal. So, I mean, I guess that was a, a sort of a highlight, but a, a slightly disappointing outcome. Um, and we received, you know, three fourths on the track as well. So, we, you know, we were close, but, but arguably no cigar. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of disappointed. Do those uh, fourths in particular hurt the most, given that you were aiming for about four medals? Yeah, certainly. And I, and I think, um, you know, we, we, we put a lot of effort into to try and take, you know, some, some reasonably young talent through. And I think, you know, we, we, we stumbled at the last hurdle. I think, you know, there were some, some real positive signs. I think, you know, if you look at our the fourth in the women's team's pursuit, you know, they've come a long way in the last 18 months. So, again, fourth, you know, not quite there, but there are some, some positive signs behind it that we're, we're getting some things right, um, albeit missed a few things, perhaps, with the men's team's pursuit. I imagine, uh, yeah, disappointing has been a word that you've probably used to describe it lately, uh, the the campaign. Would you say it all, I mean, given you were aiming for four and you only came away with one, that it was a failed campaign, or were there still signs in other areas that it was somewhat successful? Yeah, on one dimension, you know, that's high-performance sport. You're measured by medal success, and um, we know that, and we've always been working towards that. So I guess on one dimension you'd say, yeah, it was, it was a failed campaign. However, I think there, you know, there are other bits that sit in behind that, and as long as we learn from it and develop from it, then that's it's not failed. You know, we've brought on some new young talent um, across the program that you know, we do know it takes often one to two Olympic cycles before they can really produce what they're capable of. 
and we see that across many sports. So, you know, from that level, I think we're hopefully setting a bit, bit of a platform ready for Tokyo. And, and I guess the crucial thing with any sport now is actually making sure that you you do a really thorough debrief. You truly understand what you're going to be required to do in four years' time and put the right plan in place to go and do it. Were, I guess, um, high-performance sport New Zealand's expectations too high in that regard then, given um, where the medal tally ended up? No, to be honest, I don't think. You know, at the end of the day, we, we're in charge of our program and, and we set the tempo of what we think was achievable. Obviously, we work in partnership with high-performance sport New Zealand, uh, but we, we were the ones that believed we could actually achieve those medal outcomes. Um, and from there, I guess you know that's that's the decision that High Performance Sport New Zealand does around you know, putting the funding beside that to try and achieve it. So no, it was very much on our shoulders to achieve those outcomes. Do you expect uh, there to be a funding cut given um, the results over in Rio from High Performance Sport New Zealand? End of the day, that's their call. They'll make whatever decision they need to make. Um, I think we're prepared that you know there are always consequences to an underperformance, and and we need to take that on the chin with whatever that looks like. But in the day, that's going to be their decision. Um, I, I think the crucial thing that we all know is that um, you know performance is a is a series of things. So past performance and current performance gives you some indication of where you're at. But do we have the right coaching? Do we have the right structures? Do we have the right athletes and, and the right capability to produce something in the future? And I guess that's uh, the basis of future investment, invest for the future. And and uh, we're hopeful that High Performance Sport New Zealand will um, will identify that we do have the, the capability and, and I guess, uh, will to, to make a difference in Tokyo. But at the end of the day, we do know there are consequences for underachievement. Because of that, do you think that there may need to be, I guess, a little bit of a shake-up of the way the program is run at all, given that you will be doing, I guess, a review over the next couple of months? Well, I guess the crucial thing is, you know, like anything, um, is, is not to jump to any conclusions from, from our side. It's around making sure that we do have that, that really solid, robust debrief, that we do ask ourselves the right questions and we get the right people alongside us from outside the program to, to really challenge us around what we're doing and how we're going about what we're doing. And we're totally open to that, and we want that um, because at the end of the day, we are about you know, providing success for our athletes and future athletes. And if we don't do that debrief, then we're going to come up short again. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, that's that's our job to make sure we do that exceptionally well um, and set the sport up for the future. You know, what what comes around from from HPSNZ and and others around it will will be what will be. But but we've got a crucial role to play at the moment. That was New Zealand Cycling CEO Andrew Matheson. The silver medal winning women's sevens rugby team made a nationwide tour this week, visiting seven cities in seven days to promote the sport following their success in Rio. Four players were mobbed when they attended an under-15 regional rugby tournament in Wellington earlier this week. The players say the response since the Olympic final has been fantastic. Kate Perea-Garcia reports. There was plenty of cheering for those playing in the 12-a-side tournament at Wakefield Park in Island Bay yesterday afternoon. But the real cheers were reserved for the medal-wearing Olympians. Oh gosh, oh, it's like pushing for my idol, pushing for my idol. It's so good, yeah. 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 Really oh, good. It's really good. It's so heavy. It's yeah, really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was like real amazed. I was like holding the medal up like I was proud and I got it. <laughs> I was like real proud. Had you seen an Olympic medal before? No. What did you think of it? Real heavy, 
and it was like real super. <laughs> Wellington East Year 9 student Georgina Tutalili switched to rugby from league when she turned 13. She loves the competition between the girls on the field. It's the competitive prowess of the national team which earned them accolades, a silver medal and global attention, including from the American comedian Leslie Jones. I gotta see one of these games, man. Look at those legs, man! Look at this! <coughs> this is rough, son. This is rough, yo. This is not sugar and spice and everything nice. Not nice, maybe, but certainly popular. St Mary's College has had so many students choosing to play rugby that they have two teams in the under-15 tournament this year. So you think it's a growing sport? Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. definitely. Everyone's going to yeah. play next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think more people want to play now? Um, they see like the potential yeah. and like, how yeah. good everyone's getting when they play. It's such like and, a nice sport. Yeah, yeah. And, and the bond. Yeah, the bond between all your girls. And you, yeah, you make yeah, more you friends. Get, yeah. And yeah. you become real close like and family. Like, yeah. you get when you And the Sevens captain Sarah Goss says that's what their current national tour is all about. If we can get them playing the game in four years time hopefully they'll be playing alongside us in Tokyo. They might be pushing you out. <laughs> oh hopefully not but yeah there's some quality players here um, yeah. which is really awesome for our game. Um, this is what we want. We want them playing as much as possible and the more that tournaments like this can happen around New Zealand the better off our game's going to be and the harder it is for us to stay in the team which is awesome. The coach at Sacred Heart Liz Nainai Aifaeta says her team lost most of their games on the first day of the tournament but they gained invaluable experience. We've got a few new girls out there, um, so it's just kind of a, an opportunity to get those girls out, get them involved and hope they'll stay for next season. That's where I want to get involved, is try and get more girls involved and, and staying in the sport. And the Women's Rugby Development Manager for the Central Region, Anna Darling, says the Olympic success is helping attract young players. Sevens, I think, especially after the awesome win that they've just had, I think it's just going to keep growing and growing. I think... Um, it's easier for schools to put together sevens teams as well because you only really need to get 12 girls that are interested. If the buzz at yesterday's tournament is anything to go by, getting young women interested in playing rugby won't be much of a challenge. That was RNZ's Kate Pereira Garcia. The All Blacks star first five, Bowden Barrett, who's been in extraordinary form through the year so far, is to stay with the All Blacks until 2019 after announcing that he's re-signed with the Hurricanes in Super Rugby, Taranaki in Provincial Rugby, and New Zealand Rugby as his umbrella employer. Remember, 2019 is Rugby World Cup here with the tournament in Japan. Barrett, who's leaped over Aaron Cruden as the long-term first-choice replacement for Dan Carter, is not the only person with his surname receiving attention in New Zealand Rugby. His younger brothers, Scott and Geordie, are turning heads in the NPC. Denise Garland reports. Bowden Barrett made his All Blacks debut in 2012, but it's been the past two years when the 25-year-old has really stamped his mark as one of New Zealand's best. Barrett was pivotal in the Hurricanes' Super Rugby title win this year, but his stellar performances had fueled speculation he might be lured overseas or tempted by an offer from another New Zealand franchise. Barrett says for him there was only one option. It's been a no-brainer for me. You know, it was clear in my mind right from the start, although there was a little bit of speculation. You know, particularly after the season we've had, the last two seasons we've had, it's really exciting uh, with the core group of players we have. And the talent that's still around, so yeah, I'm stoked to extend it for another few years. 
The Hurricanes chief executive, Evan Lee, says his resigning is a coup for the Hurricanes. It's massive. Uh, you know, we had a conversation with Bodie uh, several months ago and you know, he gave a strong indication that he wasn't looking anywhere else and we've taken his word on that. And you know, It's great to see B Barrett on the, on the piece of paper but we, we pretty much knew he was going to be with us and um, kind of speaks volumes for the guy he is. He could have gone anywhere but he's happy to stay here and play for us and, and the All Blacks. Barrett comes from a large family with four brothers and three sisters and two of his younger brothers are making their own waves down south. Scott Barrett, who plays Locke, is just 22 and has signed with the Crusaders for the next two years, playing his provincial rugby for Canterbury in the Mitre 10 Cup. He's joined in that Canterbury squad by the even younger Geordie Barrett, who at 19 played second 5-8 for New Zealand at the Under-20 World Cup in June. Bowden Barrett says he hopes to convince his brothers to make the move north to join him at the Hurricanes in the future. It'll make my parents' life a bit easier, but I guess my brothers are leading their own lives and creating their own pathways, and um, they're both playing some good footy, so whilst they're big boys, they can make their own decisions. It'll be great to have them in a Hurricanes jersey or even a Taranaki jersey one day, so I'll be putting a bit of pressure on Geordie in the next couple of weeks. So. Barrett says his agent was approached by some overseas outfits before he signed on for another three years, but he never entered into any discussions with them. New Zealand Rugby's chief executive, Steve Chu, says they've tried really hard to make it as attractive as possible for stars like Barrett to remain in New Zealand. The landscape's been challenging for a long time, hasn't it? We're fortunate that we've got a new collective in place that has some increased revenue available for us to contract players with, but... You know, the French market, as we've said often enough, is completely out of control, but we can just deal with what we deal with, and that is to create an environment uh, both within the All Black camp, but I think more generally in rugby to, to keep these guys here and make them want to play and stay in, in the country. Steve Chu is keeping quiet about just how much money they spent on retaining Barrett, but says re-signing the young star had been a priority for New Zealand rugby. That was RNZ's Denise Garland. The New Zealand Breakers' latest signing, 24-year-old American import Akil Mitchell, says he's ready to make his mark on the basketball court down under. At 2.06 metres, or 6 foot 9, Mitchell is a versatile forward who can also slot in at centre. Mitchell played under former North Harbour coach Tony Bennett at the University of Virginia and has also played professionally in France. On top of that, he's played for the Brooklyn Nets and Houston Rockets in the NBA Summer League, but he went unpicked in the 2014 draft. Mitchell, who hopes his stint with the Breakers can propel him back into the NBA mix, says he's impressed with his new surroundings. Obviously, on the way out here, I was doing a whole lot of research and trying to figure out you know, where I was headed. And That's the first thing everybody said. Beautiful beaches, uh, great people. Um, everyone's been super nice, nothing but, nothing but uh, very, very polite and um, welcoming. And... Um, you know, just just being on the ground for four or five hours now, it's uh, I can I can already tell I'm going to have some fun. You obviously spent a bit of time in France, so you're used to sort of travelling around a little bit. Um, how do you think you'll adapt to the culture, I guess, here in New Zealand? Do you think it'll be much different to what you experienced in America? Uh, I, so far, it doesn't seem like it. You know, aside from you know jumping in the wrong side of the car, or uh, you know, every once in a while drifting over to the right lane. Um, other than that, I, I don't think it'll be that dif- that difficult. You know, obviously. The language helps, uh, and being able to speak English is, is great. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen a Wendy's, I've seen a McDonald's, you know, every, everything's here that I need, so <laughs> I don't really eat that stuff. But if I did, you know, it's, 
I don't know, it seems like home. It seems like home. As long as coach doesn't know you're having it, that's the main thing. <laughs> um, looking at your game, I guess, um, you describe yourself as a defensive player. How do you see that, I suppose, playing out in this league? You don't know much about this league, do you? I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of games. You know, obviously the time difference and everything else keeps makes it kind of hard to, to watch some games. But um, you know, as I get as I get a chance to practice, and that's I think my biggest my biggest strength is my versatility. Um, you know, the game of basketball is a game of basketball, and uh, I know once I once I figure the guys out and, and get a chance to practice and, and field coach out a little bit more, I'll, I'll be able to fit in and um, find ways to be successful. Now you do have a little bit of a connection, I guess, uh, to New Zealand with your former coach, uh, Bennett, uh, yeah. at Virginia. Um, I suppose, how did he help shape your career to where you are now, and how does that help, I guess, coming over here? Yeah, um, you know, he's, like I said, I, when, coming out of high school, I, I don't think I saw myself as a defensive stopper, and, uh, you know, he's kind of showed me that, you know, with my athleticism and my versatility, you know, I could be, I could be really good at that, and, um, you know, I, I've, I've kind of taken pride in, in, in being that guy, and, um, and you know, being able to stop multiple different positions and um, being able to help a team win um, with what I can do on the floor, and uh, for me that's important. And uh, you know that was that was what Coach Bennett has you know kind of taught me and, and developed in me, and um, you know, I'm super grateful for him. Um, sort of career-wise, where you are now, where, where do you see I suppose this season with the Breakers sort of playing out in your career? Um, I think it'll be big. I think it'll be a big step for me. Um, you know, another opportunity to, to prove myself as a, as a good player in a good league, and um, you know if if this team is um, as, as serious about winning as I am, then I think we will we'll have a chance to go pretty far. And, um, you know, obviously nobody knows, but um, this is a team that, that, that prides itself on winning and that prides itself on on, uh, on great character. And those are two things that you can never go wrong with. Um, so, you know, if we keep our head to the grind uh, this year, um, then I, I see this, you know, just propelling me a little bit for, further. Mitchell's signing completes the Breakers roster for the next ANBL season, which tips off in early October. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. The Silver Ferns have set up a showdown with Australia in the inaugural Netball Quad Series this weekend. Both New Zealand and the Diamonds have gone unbeaten in the four-team series so far, on Wednesday night, the Ferns scored a 19-goal victory over South Africa to go with their first-up win over England. The true test for the new-look side and the new coaching staff will be in Sunday's game in Melbourne against Australia. Ferns assistant coach Yvette McCausland-Jury told Morning Report earlier this week there are some obvious areas to improve before then. We'd had a really good build-up and certainly the energy was good, but... Um just I think again having a new group together you sometimes see those uh, new connections aren't quite as gelled as we'd like so second game together for a number of them and uh, great to see them build. So with that victory were there any standout players for you? Oh, um, Amelia Ann Ekinacio was named the player of the match and I thought that was a, a pretty fair reflection. It's actually the first time she's had a full game for the Silver Ferns in the history of her playing career so it was a really, really strong performance from her, not only from a shooting perspective, but also her ability to um, create good gains on attack and have, have quality court movements. So I thought she was a strong performer. So with the new players, was the match last night any sort of litmus test about how they're going to go against the match against Australia at the weekend? Oh, I think it, it certainly shows a number of things. It gives us a good feel in terms of the intensity and reminding us that at test level... 
you know, the intensity of netball is, is that much higher than what we, we obviously pay weekly. I think the other part that was really useful for us as well was the uh, tight tracking and the physicality of the match. And we know that Australia had the ability to work really hard on the body and to put players under pressure in terms of their ball release as well. So, yeah, the matchup will be will be a really interesting one. We're under no illusion that it's going to be extremely tough. But, um, yeah, this time together has been good. We've got three more days before that match and we'll use those well. To work on a, a few aspects, no doubt, what specifically do you think you'll be looking at? Yeah, just having a look and, and sometimes you get a bit of a feel for a game and then when you watch it again, as we always do, we come back and play the, the video back through again, um, you get slightly different perspective and overall we had probably a better performance than we did on Saturday night in terms of we were 10 less losses, you know, that, than we were the night before. We had maintained our shooting percentage and, and managed to, to get some good gains defensively but the areas that we'd probably like to keep working on that we talked through was just those the seamless continuity um, through attack, keeping some real discipline around the lines that we're playing. So we're working um, to reduce the ability for defence to get ball off us. And then defensively, just looking at our whole team defence so that we're able to create pressure right from our goal shoot end through to, through to the goalkeeper and have a bit more sustained intensity in that area. Silver Ferns assistant coach Yvette McCausland-Jury talking to Morning Report. Meanwhile, the former Silver Fern shooter Catherine Tuivaiti has ended a long association with the Northern Mystics in the hope a change of scenery and personnel will reignite her netball career. She signed with the Central Pulse for next year's new domestic ANZ competition. She confesses she knows very little about Wellington and has no family and few friends in the city, though she says that's one of the reasons she chose the Pulse. The 29-year-old has spent the past nine years with the Northern Mystics, but has opted for a new challenge. Tuavaiti, who will team up with Amelia Ann Ignacio in the shooting circle, recently got married, and her husband plays professional rugby in Europe. She considered moving to the UK to be closer to him. She also entertained the thought of heading to Australia, where she says the competition is ruthless to reinvigorate her game. Tuavaiti spoke to Joe Porter about the reasons behind her decision to uproot and head to the capital. I'm hoping it'll just ignite a bit of change in me. I mean, there's there's no ulterior motives, there's no secrets around me wanting to leave. I just wanted to leave because I wanted to do something different. So, um, yeah, completely changing my entire life, not just moving clubs, moving house, moving away from my family, moving away from everything that I've ever known um, to play in a different city. So I'm pretty excited. I'm not doing a big move in an aim to get back into the Silver Ferns. I had been in talks about leaving before all the Silver Ferns stuff happened, so um, it really had nothing to do with that. Um, it was literally about me trying to do something different to challenge myself to um, learn new things off new people. And, um, yeah, I know everyone's waiting for me to tell them I had a big fight with the Mystics or, you know, something happened for me to move, but it really is nothing. It's just that I want to do something else. Fair enough. So it sounds like obviously you're just looking forward to a change of lifestyle after having spent a few years doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I love my time at Domestics. You know, I had formed such great friendships and bonds and um, it really was a part of my life and um, a huge part of my life. And nothing will change, really. I just won't be playing there, you know. We've, and they know my reasons and we're on really good terms. So, um, yeah, they, they know that I'm doing this to try and um, better myself and um, just to 
go outside what I already know. And what do you know about Wellington City? And I guess what are you looking forward to and what are you maybe a little apprehensive about? Oh, everything. I know nothing about Wellington. I, I don't know many people in Wellington. It's it's a complete life change um, for me and it's really unknown and it's part of the reason why I'm still really nervous even though it's becoming real. Uh, well, it is real now, isn't it? I signed on. So it's um it's different. It's very different, but that's what I'm going for and I know that whatever scares me um, will kind of push me in the right direction and see what I'm really made of. Okay, so why, I guess, did you choose Wellington over perhaps somewhere else in New Zealand or even the UK or Australia? Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. No one's asked that, by the way. That's a good question. Um, it's it's pretty much, you know, apart from me wanting to change, I also had to look at where I was going and why, and they have they have a great support system down there. They've got um, Yvette McCausland, who um, I don't know much about, and um, all I know is what... I heard when she was speaking at the um, at the Silver Ferns trials, um, they already are well established, and there are some great players already down there that I'm hoping to make, um, you know, new connections with. So, you know, that was a big part of it too. And who wouldn't want to play with Amelia and Wells? You weren't tempted to head over to Europe to be a little closer to loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. I was also tempted to go into Australia because I know how ruthless they are over there, and I wanted to be a part of that. But you know, I said a long time ago. Um, that I'm really excited about where we're going here with the new domestic competition. And I think that um, I really want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this change and see where this can catapult New Zealand netball um, too. Yeah, so I guess you're confident then that, and I'll leave this as the last question, you're confident then that New Zealand netball isn't on the back foot going back to a solely domestic competition? No way. I think this is amazing for us. I think um, that we we have a specific um, type of netball that we play here, a, a very Kiwi type of netball, and it's the style has kind of slipped away from us a little bit. So I'm pretty confident that once we go back to um, playing New Zealanders with a New Zealand style and bringing out our own flair and, and abilities, that um, when we do come together with the Australians, uh, they won't be able to match it because it's just so different. And, you know, they're smart cookies over there. They've, they've worked us out a little bit, and um, we've kind of gone away from what we were born with, I believe. So, yeah, I think this is um, the beginning of something something really exciting. Former Silver Ferns and new Central Pole shooter Catherine Tulvaiti talking to Joe Porter. Well, it's been another season, another sigh of disappointment for New Zealand Warriors fans. For the fifth consecutive year, the Warriors have failed to make the finals of the National Rugby League competition. This weekend's final match of the season against the Parramatta Eels is the Warriors' last chance to keep the faith. For the West Tigers, perhaps, but that try signalled the start of another what-could-have-been conversation for the Warriors. At the start of the season, they were touted as top-four hopefuls after signing star hooker Isaac Luke and fullback Roger Tuivasa-Shek, but injury prevented them from living up to the hype. A group of Warriors also created headaches for the club when they mixed energy drinks with prescription medication the night after their biggest loss of the season. Injury and scandals aside, 
The Warriors' failure to make the top eight has raised questions about whether head coach Andrew McFadden is the right man for the job. McFadden himself is the first person to admit he made mistakes. You don't learn in this game unless you make mistakes, so I'm sure I'll be able to sit back and and say I've made a few, but I've made a a lot of good decisions as well, and I'm very proud of that. You know, I haven't compromised. There hasn't been any self-preservation in this. I've always made the decisions in what I think is the best interest of the club, and I'll continue to do that. It's not the first time McFadden's capability has been questioned, but after falling short of the playoffs again, the heat is on both him and Warriors managing director Jim Doyle to find answers quickly. But while critics ponder McFadden's ability, Captain Ryan Hoffman believes McFadden is the right man to carry them forward next season. Not everything comes down to the coach. I mean, we've been prepared well all year, and um, you need to make sure that as an individual you're prepared well, and um, you need to make sure that you're ready for the game on the weekend. The Warriors' defence has been their Achilles heel for many years. For example, last weekend, when they were still a playoff shot, the Warriors were leading the West Tigers by six points with ten minutes to go. They went on to lose by 12 points after the Tigers scored three unanswered tries. Former Warriors and New Zealand Kiwis coach Frank Endicott says defence is one of the hardest and most crucial parts of rugby league, but he believes the real key to turning around the Warriors' fortunes is keeping them healthy. The success of a team getting into the um, the top eight is always a team that, uh, or a squad of players that have gone through um, with very little injuries. And you've just got to look at um, teams like the Sharks, for instance, who was an unfashionable team at the start of the year. But because they've had no injuries, they've got through the year well. And uh, that's what the Warriors need, an injury-free year. Endicott says he backs Andrew McFadden for another season and believes the problems lie more with the players. He expects some of those players will need to find a new club next season. One thing is for sure though, McFadden is still committed to seeing out his contract with the Warriors. I love being a part of professional sport. It's certainly been challenging, but but one that I've walked into. So um, yeah, look, I still love it. There's no doubt about that. I'm I'm very attached to this club. They're, They're the club that's given me my first opportunity and I want to keep working hard for them. Whether McFadden's players do, well, only time will tell. New Zealand cricket appear to be pushing ahead with plans to trial day-night first-class matches as they build towards hosting their inaugural pink ball home test against England in 2018. NZC has released its 2016-17 domestic fixture list and Wellington Regional Stadium, which has never hosted a first-class match and has been used solely for day-night limited overs international cricket, is to host one of the Plunkett Shield games scheduled to begin on March 6th. Auckland's Eden Park and Hamilton's Seddon Park, both of which have lights, will also host matches starting on March 6. NZC's General Manager of Cricket Operations, Catherine Campbell, told me a lot of background work has gone into getting the pink ball fixtures right, starting with reviewing last year's first day-night test between the Black Caps and Australia in Adelaide. Now, a lot of work's been done by our technical people um, around grounds and, and venues and with the turf managers around likely uh, lunch breaks, dusk and you know sun setting, all that sort of stuff. So there's a bit of science around that that our experts are looking at. Um, and, and certainly around the, the Kookaburra ball, you know, we've had feedback from Cricket Australia and work with Kookaburra around ensuring that you know we'll be using the, the very best quality that we can. Um, has the has the ball, uh, from your understanding, had to undergo any changes? I know there were a few people that said they couldn't, a uh, few players rather, that said they couldn't see it sometimes in at the night time. Is, have any changes at all had to be made to it? 
Yeah, look, certainly Cricket Australia have worked with Kookaburra around the seam, I think, trying to get the colour of that um, to be sort of optimal, really, going into any sort of future matches. And Australia will be continuing to have some matches and we'll, we'll keep talking with them about any you know, changes that need to be made or further developments. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that this at this point it is still a trial, but is it likely that it will just become the norm having one or two uh, day-night uh, matches like this featuring in the Plunkett Shield in years to come? Oh, look, you, you never really know, Matt. I suppose what we're saying as well is that there could be an audience of people out there um, in terms of a walk-up crowd that are unable to go to four-day cricket during the day and maybe this is an opportunity for them to go to go at night. So, you know, while I suppose it is a trial looking ahead to international, uh, future internationals we, we have here, you know, it will just depend. I mean, the, I suppose the, um, the audience for cricket is constantly changing and the game itself is changing and we just want to be sort of always one step ahead, I suppose, and who knows, that may impact on future domestic uh, rounds in the future. Um. Finally from me, there's uh, obviously up here in Auckland, uh, I know that um, Mr David White had been trying to get a day-night fixture against England uh, in the in the books, I think, for about the 2018 uh, season, mm. if I remember correctly. Now, under the rules of the uh, way Auckland Council works, they weren't able to play, or, uh, only allowed to play a number of games on a Sunday night, I think the rule was. Um, yep. Do you know if that has changed? I know Auckland Council have just brought out their uh, plan for the next few years. Do you know if that has changed at all and whether or not you're going to be able to play that fixture against England? I'm not sure about that specific um, fixture, but certainly, you know, we've we've scheduled this day-night round Monday, Thursday, and there are a number of resource consent issues that New Zealand Cricket and Auckland Cricket and even Park will work on over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Um, and, and, you know, certainly resourcing is, is a consent is a big issue, and we're, you know, well aware of that, and I think all parties, you know, will try and work towards getting a, you know, a reasonable solution for that. So at this stage, I guess it is still in the books, that, uh, that proposed yeah. uh, game? Yeah, look, it's very much on our on our radar. It's something we certainly want to play a, a day-night test at some time in the future. And, you know, you're correct, there have been some discussions with the ECB around it. So we'll just keep working, uh, working towards that. Catherine Campbell from New Zealand Cricket there. That's extra time for this week. Your feedback is always welcome via Twitter at RNZ Sport or our emails sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chatterton. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.